Hi, and welcome to MentorCore. If you're new here, we're a community focused on helping people in the security, risk, and compliance fields grow their careers and leadership skills through mentoring. You can find more information about MentorCore at mentorcore.biz. I'm Dan Ayala, along with Lisa Beth Lentini Walker. Now, on to this week's discussion. Hi, everybody, and welcome. Um, we have got a great episode today. Uh, Russell Eubanks, who is the founder of Security Ever After and is, both, is, an, is faculty for both SANS as well as the Institute for Applied Network Security, INS, uh, is here with us today. Uh, Russell, welcome. We're really glad to have you. Thanks. It's awesome to get to be here. Thanks, Daniel, uh, Elizabeth, for allowing me to spend some time with you and your audience uh, in this episode. It's our pleasure. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about you and uh, you know what's your, what's your origin story? Yeah, so a um, long time ago in a land far away. Well, that's a different story. Uh, a long time ago, <laughs> my, uh, my profession, I was literally working in a factory. Uh, I, I was working in a steel room at Maytag in, in Nowheresville, Tennessee, and that was my job. I worked really hard to get that job, but it hit me. Wait a second. Do I really want to be doing this job the next 30 plus years of my life? And very quickly, I said, no. I mean, I had to wear steel-toed shoes and protective equipment. It's a kind of a dangerous job. Uh, paid very well, lots of work uh, that came from that. And I thought, I don't think I want to do this the rest of my life. And so I literally went to the HR uh, teams. I worked 4.30 till 3 in the morning, six days a week. Went in early. Hey, HR, when you hired me, and I love this job. When you hired me, you said something about tuition reimbursement. Are you saying that if I go to college and get, like give you the bill, you'll like pay for my school? And and they said, yeah, we, we'd love to do that. And, and in fact, you go do that. And while you do that, we're going to figure out how to pay for someone who works in the factory school because we've never had anybody do that before from the factory. But yeah, go figure it out. And so they literally paid me to go to school. They pay for my school. So during the day, I'd go to community college and at night I'd work in the factory and I'd just like, is this really real? And so they pay for me to get into school and land, thanks to Y2K, and I know I'm dating myself, I was able to get into a really choice job that I would never would have had if not on the program to, to get an associate's degree and finally a bachelor's degree and really kind of found my place. And, and moving from this place of, I have to go to work to I get to go to work. And when we joined the call uh, earlier, uh, Daniel, you said, how are you doing it? And my standard answer is always the same. I'm living the dream. I'm living the dream because I can remember what it looked like and smelled like and felt like and all the feelings of working in a factory as compared to now, finding my passion 20 some years ago in cybersecurity in particular, in cybersecurity leadership, where I get to go and work on solve real problems that help companies uh, be successful and, and ideally, you know, reduce their cybersecurity risk. I went from there to Blue Cross Blue Shield, Tennessee for a long time, moved to Atlanta 12 years ago. Um, family wasn't too happy, but they said, yes, let's go. And so we came and had an opportunity to do some really cool things. Uh, most recently, I was privileged to be SVP CIO and before that CISO for the Federal Reserve Bank of Atlanta, where I live. I uh, got to exposed to some amazingly smart people doing a super important mission. Uh, I was there for five and a half years. And as it turns out, literally, call it good timing, bad timing, we'll see. Literally the week that uh, the pandemic hit um, here in the U.S., I went to my leader's office. Hey, leader, you know, I love my job. I've never been happier. People tell me how, how awesome this is. And 
this little side hustle of teaching and helping and mentoring and coaching folks, I think I'm going to go out full-time and do that on my own. So I'm going to go ahead and submit my resignation literally three days before, well, Friday the 13th of 2020. Um, and I've, I've really enjoyed it. This opportunity to not focus on just one organization, it's super important organization, I love, miss those folks so much. But now getting to work with people in different industries, having conversations like this and being able to spread out uh, and, and to kind of diversify organizations and people that I get to work with that I just would not be able to if I were in you know traditional uh, full-time uh, role. So that, that's kind of the, the journey from where I was to why I say I'm living the dream because I am absolutely living the dream. If you knew three days later, it was all gonna change. Now, if you went back, you Marty McFly'd your way back and you had the great Gray's Almanac, would you make the same choice? You know, for a long time, um, I thought I had this perfect plan. Of course, it didn't have a pandemic. I know nobody has had a pandemic. Uh, I know that everyone has lost something. I know that many people have lost way more than we can ever bear or even think to imagine. For a long time, I thought, man, what was I doing? What a dummy. It was literally SVP, senior leader, doing crazy cool stuff, both for the Atlanta Fed and the whole federal reserve system uh, in cyber. Amazing, amazing. And one day I was uh, talking to my wife and I said, you know, I, and I just to be honest, I was looking for a compliment. Hey, honey, I, I, I imagine all these weird things when the pandemic was new to us. And we're like, trying to figure out what in the world. I was saying to myself, you know, I bet you that the team I was privileged to lead and my coworkers and colleagues and just all the things in the economy, I bet you they could uh, use a really good leader. And, I, and I, I'm sure that I'm qualified. I know that I could help them out. I know that I could do that. And again, I was looking for a compliment. I was looking for a pat on the back. But she looked at me in a way that a, someone being married to somebody 25 plus years could only say, she said, yep, but we needed you here. And it just stabbed. And I'm like, oh, that's not the compliment I wanted. But that message, when I heard it, when she said, but yes, you would have done that. And you've done it before. You could do it again. You would have done that. because We've seen you do that before. But we needed you. My daughter was a senior in high school. My son was a freshman in college. I'd have been off doing full-time things, not being literally here in this house with them when the world's just doing what the world did and still doing in some cases. Uh, and I wouldn't have been there. So on that day, the Marty McFly answer to your Marty McFly question is this. On that day, I knew I'd made the right decision. It's been tough. It's been, I'm learning things. I'm doing cool stuff. And some days are better than others. But on that day, when she told me what I needed to hear, not what I wanted to hear, I knew I made the right choice. Well, I Lisa that. Beth and I are like six months earlier than that in our similar decisions. And I, I won't speak for you, but I'll speak for you and say, I think we both do the, say the exact same thing. Absolutely. You know, and, and, and not to diminish the fact that, um, you know, one of the, one of the people I started uh, my own business, March of 2019 and, um, on the, you know, one year anniversary, like the business was a year old. Um, I remember distinctly, it was Matt Kelly said, um, that the hardest year is the first year. And I was like, what is this? Some kind of curse? Like year two was no picnic, right? Because year two, like literally started the day that everything shut down on Friday the 13th. And so I was like, oh, really? 
Like, I don't think year one is going to go down as the hardest. Year one was a breeze. Year two, trying to navigate all of the pandemic and trying to understand how that was impacting my family particularly was tough. And I love that what you said about this was you got the compliment you needed, not the one you wanted. And that I think is actually goes to the core of mentoring. And sometimes we get mentored by our spouses. <laughs> sometimes we get mentored by our dear friends. <laughs> sometimes we get mentored by people we might not even like um, because they are truth tellers and they help deliver messages that might, we might not wanna hear but that we may need to hear. So how does that play in? You said that you got this message and you were like um, shocked a little bit, but then realized the wisdom of it. How does that play into how you mentor and lead and teach um, along the way? Yeah, and I think that's an important thing. You know, we, we hear advice. We can go to all kinds of places and have people tell us things. It, it's when the, when that actually connects with us. And you know what? I'm going to believe Lisa Beth, or I'm going to believe Daniel. I'm going to believe what my mentor has said or what maybe I heard on, you know, whatever source. And I'm going to align with that. And I think that that's really the key is to help kind of tell that story. I mean, it's easy to say, hey, Russell, you, you've done this, you've done that. And I'm just, I can't be more happy, couldn't be more fortunate and blessed to do the things I get to do. But again, not that long ago, I was working at Maytag in a steel room, a 500 steel uh, ton press going up and down and making parts to make stoves for Maytag. And those that are needed, there's nothing wrong with that. I wanted more than that. So I can come in and say, hey, I've been there. I used to hate my job. I didn't like it. It was dirty. I said, thank God it's Friday. Oh God, it's Monday. Just like my origin story, my folks I was around at the time, that's just kind of how we behaved. And But on the other side of that, I can say without a doubt to you know, basically have two jobs, a job of going to school and a job of going to work, a job of trying to figure out, you know, we went, my wife, she took me to the bookstore back when, when we had those, and that's the only news source. And every Friday for date night, we go to the bookstores, Books a Million in Chattanooga, Tennessee, where we're from a long time ago. Uh, and we go to the career section. I'd start at section of A. What do I want to be when I grow up? And I was a grown man saying these things. What do I want to be? What? And so I'd look at this section, look at that section, look at that section. I thought, hmm, computers. Maybe there's something there. And, and again, to, and, this computer and to thing, it might just take off. <laughs> it might last a little while. <laughs> we might be onto something. But I promise you, looking at that, and it hit me. I thought, wait a second. Back in high school, I had to take a bunch of classes in public high school and in the 80s, take a bunch of classes. I had a chance to take a couple of electives. I thought, well, I like that teacher. And that teacher teaches his class on computers. I don't see what a computer is. Didn't have one, never put my finger on one. I wrote a, I remember writing a program in basic, like a hello world. And it kind of does that and that's it. Uh, and I thought, well, that's kind of cool. Okay, now go back to whatever my job was at the time in, in high school. I never equated that you could actually love the thing that you do. I thought you had to hate your job. I thought you had to hate your boss because I'm just all I'd ever been around. But when I saw that, it I thought, wait a second, my company's going to pay for my school. I've got to figure out what I'm going to do when I, well, grow up. Wait a minute. I can actually like the thing I can do. Being able to not just say, hey, you should love your job or you should not hate uh, Mondays anymore, but be able to say, the me from not that long ago, that's how I thought, that's how I thought life was going to play out. And now, kind of the opposite of that, 
and and if you want to talk or figure things out, you got some, I can tell you about my path. It's not perfect by any means, but I can tell you about my story from where I was at. I can tell you what it smelled like and tell you what it felt like and tell you how working in a factory with no air conditioning and wearing a bunch of protective clothes felt like. Because that was part of my origin story that got me to be able to say, and again, no, no kidding, I am truly living the dream because I found that thing that I know that I was put on earth to do professionally. And I get to do it right now. I love that so much. Um, you know, part of, you know, learning and growing is when we know better, we can be better. When you knew that you could love what you do, you get to forge a path that allows you to love what you do. Um, so one of the things I'd like to ask is we have lots of listeners that span a, a spectrum of compliance, legal, ethics, risk, security, ESG. Um, and one of the things that connects us and unites us is, you know, this um, constant pursuit of career and um, learning. But one of the things that I think um, is a challenge is sometimes these different areas seem so different and so hard to grasp that um, they're scary, right? Whether it's I'm scared of lawyers, I'm scared of tech, I'm scared of um, Dan or, <laughs> or Lisa Beth or Russell, whoever the person is, um, how do you, since you're a teacher at heart, um, demystify and create safety and learning? Yeah, I think that by, so I'm, I'm a big fan. So I, with, the last couple of years, me and another SANS instructor wrote a class on security culture. Like, what does it mean? How do you do that? And how do you navigate that? And one of the topics we talk about there is this idea of one of what's many cognitive biases. And one of them is the curse of knowledge. So the curse of knowledge says, once you know something, once I know cyber, once you know cyber, once you know the things you know, it's hard to imagine not knowing that thing. And so in my ecosystem, in my echo chamber, in my Discord servers, in my Slack channels, and the place where they're just cyber people talking about cyber stuff, I can spout off acronyms, I can tell stories, I can do things where people that know what I know, well, they they know that. But when I go maybe uh, and talk with my family, they don't know what an APT is and they really don't care. And they're like, what is, that's not even a word, what are you saying? I get reminded of, wait a second, there's something I know, I can't imagine not knowing it, but the person I want to talk to, my son, my daughter, my wife, they love me, but they're not going to figure out what an acronym that I'm saying is. It reminds me of that, and it reminds me when I have the privilege of speaking to people or mentoring people or coaching people or doing CISO work for people, that just because I know something doesn't mean that they know something. And so what I like to be, being more aware of that, being conscious of that, how I, I, say I like to, I think it's right, put myself in a position where I'm a novice, where I don't know something. Am I in a community of people that know that something? An example was, you know, five years ago, I needed a non-tech hobby. I needed something that wasn't on a screen or on a keyboard. Uh, and so I had a goal. Okay, Russell, go find a non-tech hobby before the year expires. I think that's year 2018. So I looked and tried. And, oh, whatever. And some friends of mine said to me, hey, Russell, why don't we come and run the Disney Star Wars half marathon with us in Orlando? It'll be fun. I'm like, no, it won't. <laughs> half, half marathon? What? Why, why would I want to do that? I don't run like at all. I, I would run if somebody's chasing me. 
other than that, how far is a half marathon? Turns out 13.1 miles. I thought, well, you know what? Let me sleep on it. I like hanging out with y'all. You're a great, great couple. And it seems like a good idea to do. I'll sleep on it. And hopefully I can find a good reason to bow out of that invitation. Well, I woke up the next day. I'm like, I can't think of a reason not to. It's like six months away. I guess I can go to Professor Google and figure out a plan to not embarrass myself. And so I decided to do it. I'll give it a try. We'll walk for a while, run for a while, get some shoes, all the things that the internet tells me to do to prepare myself for the Disney Star Wars Dark Side Half Marathon in 2018. But when I crossed the finish line, I thought, there we go. I found my non-tech hobby. I went from a place of, I didn't know anything. I had shoes that were probably too old. I had cut off shorts or some shirt that wasn't the right things to wear. I didn't know about nutrition. I didn't know about having a watch that tells me to run a little bit and maybe walk for a little bit and track my status and have a plan. I was a novice. I was cursed with like nothing, but I had a goal of saying, you know what? And so it helps me to remember not that long ago, not just a few years ago, I don't know anything about running. Now I run half marathons a lot, do, done several full marathons. I'm in a running group. I get to meet people that I never would have met because I had this need to find a non-tech thing to do. So, but so the, to that question of how do I think about that? I think about when I didn't know how to run. Now that I've, I've run, I'm on my wall here, I've got several medals, running marathons, half marathons, all, all kinds of cool things. Love it so much. Can't imagine not doing that, but not that long ago. I was like worse than a novice. And again, reminding myself, putting myself in situations like that, little hacks of, hey, what is it like to feel like the new person, the new guy, the new gal in any situation helps me to remember, wait a second, just because I'm all amped up on cyber doesn't mean that anyone else even understands the words I'm saying. How can I communicate in a way, besides being excited about it, to help kind of draw them in to where they'll be interested to learn a little bit more, be able to ask good questions and and have me remind myself of what's it like to be aware of, in this case, my cursed knowledge. I did, did spark so many thoughts, especially on, well, one, Central Florida, I got my, my non is in, uh, was a, uh, was a triathlon at Kennedy Space Center. That was, wow. and was drew me, same thing, no clue, but love doing it. And I bet you at mile three, 12.8, you said, I'm never doing this again. And at 13.1, you said, where do I sign up for the next one? It's true. 100% every time. Uh, I was like, I'm never going to do this again. So, matter of fact, uh, three weeks ago, my son and his girlfriend said uh, several several months ago, hey, we want to run a half marathon with you. Let's go to Disney and run there. What was now their 25th year of doing this? I'm like, cool. Um, uh, and every time I run, I'm like, okay, that's it. No more. This is crazy. Who would sign up? You pay, I should yep. pay money to go torture yourself. Why would I do that? Doesn't make any sense. But when you cross that finish line, you get the medal, you get the whatever. It's like, I'll okay, register right now. <laughs> Not having another race on my calendar because something to train for, something to look forward to. And not so much like run and be the first person. I'll never be the first person. But I'll be the person that, you know, in that run, be able to go through and kind of celebrate the three or six months or 12 months of training that allowed me to cross that finish line. That's that's really that that thought of, okay, I, the real reason I'm doing it is I'm doing this race to kind of memorialize the fact that I got up early, I ran in the cold, or ran in the hot, or whatever I did to, to get there and uh, be successful. So people 
now are struggling with getting into the field, into the security field, into, I don't know, I don't think, I don't know if it, that it's quite the same in the compliance field, but there's all these openings. I can talk from what I know, Lisa Beth, please tell me if this, if this applies uh, there as well, but there's all these openings, there's all this need, but there is also a lack of recollection based on what you just described by hiring managers of what it was when they got started, when we got, when you and I got started in this field and how we grew with it. And therefore, there's a lot of concern by people wanting to get into the field of how to break through that initial barrier when you're in a room full of people or interviewing with people who have forgotten what it was to come into the field for the first time as well. How can people, how can managers apply what you just described to their hiring? And how can, hi, how can candidates that are, want to come into this field that we need them so badly, how can they take that concept and use it to their own, to their own benefit to make that leap into the field? Here's some ways. And so if you believe the internet, there's a million unfilled cyber jobs in the U.S. Who knows if it's true, but let's just, maybe it's half true. Uh, what, there's still more than one. How about there's, there's still more than one. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, if you know the cybers, probably you're getting interviews or getting opportunities, but, but maybe there's folks who say, you know what, but I've not been in that field before. I'm an expert in HR or I'm an expert in like keeping buildings physically safe. Uh, and or I'm an expert in, in say, being a database administrator. At my last job, I was privileged to uh, be in an environment where the pay wasn't fabulous. The, the, the benefits, the, the exposure to really smart people on some super important topics was all over the place. But being able to attract people was tough. So it hit me. Hmm. What are some things that we can do? What are some ways that we can maybe cast a non-traditional net to find people that are really good at database administration or good at uh, communicating in HR, or maybe they're really good at some other things. How can I draw them in and entice them, one, to not leave the organization? That really stinks. Good. You hate to see anyone leave your organization, uh, but if they're not satisfied in the job they're doing, maybe there's some things that they do now that they're like amazing at, and we could put them in a position to learn cyber while cyber people on the team, we, we could send them to school. Uh, some of the best advice I've got from an HR recruiter friend of mine from like forever ago, he said, you hire character and you train skill, hire character, train skill. So if I've got the someone who's got good character, I can send them to cyber school, whatever that school is, lots of places, lots of options. But if they're a jerk and I don't like to be around them and they're mean and they're disrespectful, I, no, not, not, don't want to do that. So what do we do? We actually went to and actually recruited the HR recruiter that recruited me to join the Atlanta Fed. Turns out he's a phenomenal communicator. Turns out the compliance team at the time was not phenomenal at communicating with, especially in person with stakeholders, key leaders that needed to make risk-based decisions that intersect in the realm of compliance. Brought that person to the team, phenomenal communicator. While he was learning NIST 153 and all other compliance things, he was exposing them of how to show up and how to prepare and how to communicate not uh, technical cyber things to people that senior leaders that are never going to pick up 853 and geek out over the things that are in there. Same thing with uh, law enforcement. There's someone who literally Gates guards guns, who was an expert at that, who thought, you know what, I think I want this cyber seems interesting. 
what would it look like to, again, make a opportunity for someone to not leave the organization and to not just show up as the new person, but with the experience they've had, the ed education, the exposure, the things that they saw, how the organization works, they can bring and contribute that to the company. And all of a sudden, we all win. Everybody wins in situations like this. So my, again, the short version to that uh, long-winded question is this, this idea of what are some ways that we can find those people in our organization that are good communicators, that know things that can contribute to and help our team and not just have to start off as day one, but how can they bring their whole selves and contribute right away and make everybody on the team better because of what they can contribute while they're learning all the cyber and compliance at risk things. So amazing. So we've covered kind of your backstory, what you're excited about right now, your teaching, and how you're keeping yourself well in this whole process. We're getting to the end of our time. I feel like this could go on for actually another couple episodes. Um, but um, at the end of every one of our mentor core sessions, we ask, what's the best advice that you ever received from a mentor? Yeah, by far from a non-tech, non-cyber, when I was still working in a factory, um, informal mentor of mine, I, there's no formal relationship. She said to me, if you're smart, you'll get wisdom as cheaply as you can get wisdom as cheaply as you can. So what does that mean? How can I learn lessons from you, Daniel? How, Elizabeth, can things that you've experienced, things that you'll never do again, I love to hear them because I don't want to do them either. I want to uh, get wisdom as cheaply as I can. The Army uh, made this popular for their after-action review. You, they're called Lessons Learned or Retrospective Reviews. they got a bunch of different names. But mm -hmm. how can we intentionally pause and learn from others and avoid the scars or the metaphorical pain and suffering that they went to so that I can just skip past that step. Uh, how can I learn from you? How can I share with you? And then together we all win by far, no doubt about it, get wisdom as cheaply as you can. I love it. I love it. Well, Russell, thank you so much for joining us today. It has been a fantastic session. I would love to be able to invite you back in the future and continue this discussion because I think there's lots more to say. Um, where can everybody find you? Yep, so um, love to have any uh, email. So Russell, my name R-U-S-S-E-L at my company name securityeverafter.com, Russell at securityeverafter.com. Matter of fact, um, uh, in two weeks, I'm actually launching a class of how to get people into and promoted in the cybersecurity area. It's called uh, the CISO Fast Track Masterclass, How to Secure Your Promotion Without Changing Who You Are. Go to my website, securityeverafter.com uh, security forward slash CISO, CISO, and be happy to enroll anybody who wants to go completely free. Uh, just kind of this idea, this vision of what would it look like to apply the things you know uh, to accelerate your next promotion in our field. Wonderful. We'll make sure that that link and the link to your site are both in the uh, are both in the show notes for this episode. So if you're listening or watching, uh, open up your podcast app or look down in the bottom of the description and find those links and go check out Russell's company and business. Thank you so much for being here, Russell. Uh, and thank you to you for listening uh, and being here as uh, as part of the MentorCore community. Uh, we love your feedback. Uh, you can always reach us at info at mentorcore.biz. All of our episodes going back 
to 2020 uh, are available on our website, mentorcore.biz, and current podcasts in this new format are all available on your favorite podcast application uh, or in video form on YouTube. Uh, thanks again, and we look forward to seeing you on the next MentorCore.